Greetings, listeners. Sivalis Valeo. Valamugulis. Nanu Nanu. Thank you for tuning in to our movie review podcast. This is Three Men in a Basement, and we are the Ultra Crepidarians. It's just a fact. It's true. You know what? I read it in a book. Yeah. Yep. It's true. Hashtag facts. Animal. What was that? Uh, was it animal books? I, yeah. Zoo books. Zoo, zoo books. books. Yep. Like a zoo book. Sorry. Go ahead. My name is Colin McLeod. Mark Alpier. Action Jackson. And uh, in this podcast, the three of us, the Ultra Crepidarians, we like to review movies. Do we like to do that? I love to do it. I do enjoy it. We like to do it. And we like to deliver to you, the listener, an average schmuck's opinion about hidden gems in the wide world of cinema. In this podcast, we try to target movies that are right in the middle of your viewing availability. Your listening G-spot, if you will. <laughs> mm, good. <laughs> I don't know if I can fully endorse I'm that. I'm sorry. But, but, <laughs> no, no. What he's trying to say is, I think I'm like... gonna, I think I'm gonna leave it in. Um, <laughs> yeah, we try and target movies that are not too hard to find, but not too easy to find. Like Ones a... that you have to track down in, uh, uh, say, like a creepy uncle's basement, or well, now, now you're making the G spot reference even weirder. <laughs> <laughs> Am I doubling down on the G spot reference? I can't breathe. <laughs> But I, Jackson's in physical pain. I, I think I, I get what you're saying, but but please elaborate, Colin. So we're we target movies that um you might be able to find in a creepy uncle's basement, but you don't have to. You don't have to. Maybe you could find it in like a standard uncle's basement. Yeah, just a just a benign uncle. Just a benign uncle or a baten uncle. Mmm, I like uh, it. We also try and target movies that are not super well known. So we're not doing a park of the Jurassic variety or a Stawa. No Star Wars. No Star Wars. We watch these movies delivered to you, the listener. Super long intros and our opinion about whether or not you need to track these movies down and watch them. And uh, what did we review today, gentlemen? Ooh, uh, Victoria and Abdul. Yes. Victoria and Abdul. Uh, this was... Paula Abdul, I believe. Yes, Victoria and Paula Abdul. <laughs> That's a different movie. It was a very... I watched It that. was a very curious mashup of the English monarchy and uh, pop culture references from the 1980s. Yeah. so it was the 1880s and the 1980s and now. 100 Years of Magic. Oh, yeah. Uh, Love it. Victoria and Abdul, 2017 film, rated PG-13. Yeah. Uh, I... Yes. Certainly, I think, but like this could have easily been made PG for TV. Yeah. Yes, I agree. If you'd cut out about two minutes of the movie, you could have made it PG. Yeah, but it's PG in that like historical sense, right? Like even though this movie doesn't hold a great deal of things that would give it a higher rating, it's certainly not a movie that's going to hold most kids' interests. No. So it, it's it's PG only in the sort of like absolute and clinical sense that like. There just really isn't that much that would be otherwise objected to. Like, is it a kid-friendly movie? For the most part, about 99%, yes. Is it a kid's movie? Absolutely not. <laughs> right. I, I don't I don't know any children under the age of 13 that would watch this willingly. Yeah. And also, again, just to, just to call it out, like this is, I think, maybe the most recent movie that we've ever done. Perhaps. I think the previously it was It Follows. And it I want Follows, to say it yeah. Yeah, maybe 2016 for It Follows, something yeah. like that. One hour and 51 minutes. 
Thoughts? I didn't want it to be longer, but I didn't feel like it overstayed its welcome. You know, if you hadn't told me how long it was, I would have assumed that it was about a two-hour movie. That's a good sign, right? Yeah, I mean, an hour and 51, it felt it. There were moments that, I don't want to say dragged, but maybe moved a little slower than they could have, but they did a pretty good job of keeping the important moments and moving the rest of them in a clip. I feel like I would have expected it to feel longer. I feel like maybe it moved better for me. It didn't drag but it had the potential to because of like (laughs) like like just like the way that like this movie kind of flowed like it entirely depended on like the dialogue and the drama and And it kind of depends i think on like what holds your interest i think this movie would drag really bad for somebody who has no interest in like historical biopics Yeah, and that's the thing is like this movie could have laid on the exposition and increased the flowery words Mm -hmm. and the dialogue, but they really focused on what was important and kept the flowery stuff at a minimum. Yeah, it was quippier in the beginning. I mean, this this doesn't, I think, lead into spoilers, but it was quippy. It was funny in the beginning. And then the drama kind of like filled in the latter half. So if you weren't invested by the halfway point, you're probably not going to care about the second half of the movie. Yeah. I personally was invested and I enjoyed the breadth of the movie, but it certainly there's like a tonal shift once you're connected to the characters. You invested in the Bitcoin of this movie and you cashed out right at the right time. Cha-ching. And you can now buy three Lamborghinis instead of like a roll of toilet paper. That's yeah. funny. No, it's funny. You say Lamborghini. I say Lambo. Lambo? Yeah. I just think it sounds cooler. Fair. Fair enough. Total aside here. Do you guys know Lamborghini Performance Car Company was created like almost entirely out of spite? I did not know that. Yeah. Like Lamborghini, the guy, he made tractors and he bought a Ferrari and like hated it and this was back when like Enzo Ferrari like actually still owned Ferrari and it was you know and he just like railed against it and thought it was like the worst thing and basically was like I can make a better car than this and, and they created... said prove it and he's and he did well I mean I don't know if you I don't I, I don't know if I could objectively say that he did <laughs> but he certainly created his own performance car company specifically to compete with Ferrari. So like would, entirely out of spite. So right. the question therefore is would you rather have a Lamborghini or a Ferrari? I would rather me, have one. Me <laughs> <laughs> I drive a 20-year-old Ford Ranger, so really anything's a step up at this point. I'll, I'll take a really nice Taurus. <laughs> You know? Okay. Like, like a 2015 Taurus. I will drive a 1979 Thing. Mm. Ooh, the Thing was a good, good model. Yeah. <laughs> and that was a good year for the Thing. Yeah. That was a good year. Yeah. yeah. What was the genre of this movie? Genres? What do we got? This movie is listed as biography, comedy, drama, and history. Okay, so I'm going to jump off here. What are you jumping off, Bridge? Base jump off of a skyscraper. Okay. I'm going to land on a bridge, and then I'm going to backflip into the water. Uh, so not in Dubai, then? No, not Got in it. Dubai. Water. Yeah. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, All of their water is indoors. And in the ocean. That's true. Okay, so one of the things I was going to say about this movie that Mark's already mentioned, and I don't think it's spoilery, but like, is I didn't expect it to be as funny as it was. That being said, though, I don't know if I would put the label comedy on it. And I think it's kind of ironic that I'm sitting here going like, I didn't expect to be laughing so much and for it to be that funny. And then turn around and be like, but it's not a comedy. And it's like, it doesn't feel like a comedy. It feels like a funny drama. 
Mm-hmm. So I feel uncomfortable agreeing with the label comedy. The others, I would totally, like, biography, drama, history. Absolutely. Like, fucking nailed it. Absolutely. But I personally would not add comedy to that list. It, it flirted with rom-com. It flirted with it. Like, it saw its reflection in a surface from a distance. So okay. this is like Ghosts of Girlfriends Past Part Part One. Not well, sure. Yeah, I was gonna say Part Two, but you know. Yeah, it's... yeah. No, but like there was definitely some like you know like with with a rom com you enjoy the chemistry between the two leads. There was a lot of chemistry between these two leads, and even though it didn't go like full Harold Maud, it had that like palpable. Um, there was there was a a tension there. That you yeah. want to call sexual tension. Yeah, but it, 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 it never, like, came to fruition. But, like, it definitely had that, like, them-against-the-world kind of vibe at certain it, certain moments. It was very clear that they were leaning towards a romantic inclination without ever overstepping that bound. Yeah, this is not a romance at all. But I, I'm just saying that, like, it's there's some shared DNA in that... Um, well, I think if they yeah. shared DNA, that would fall squarely in the purview of a rom-com. Because it's a re- re- refractional? Re- refractional? 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 This is a word. Uh, you, uh, just cut all this bullshit out. <laughs> wait, hang on. Wait, wait, wait. Are we sharing DNA or not? We're not explicitly sharing in DNA, but we're showing each other well, our... Colin and I had plans to share DNA. Right. But then I came down and you were like, well, can't do that. All Witnesses. right, close back on. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, but, like, I don't know how to, like, articulate this, but, I mean, do, do you guys agree? Do you think I'm, like, off the deep no, end? I'm going to push back and say I, I don't agree. Okay. I see why you would say that. In the same way that I feel like I would see why somebody would say comedy. I, I get it, but I don't know if I would say it really even flirted with that line. I think for the reasons that we gave last week about Ghosts of Girlfriends Passes, I feel like rom-com is such a known, detailed formula. It is a very specific genre of movie that I would say is distinct from romance and comedy. Yeah, and this is not that. And it is, this is not that. So I would say rom-com is like a far hit. I would say romance, perhaps. It flirts with elements of romance, but even then, I would say I would never put it on the list. Well, so, like, romance movies or rom-coms or whatever, like, they live and die on the chemistry between the two leads, okay? But that's not the only element about them. True, true. Um, but this movie, like, it's, I don't know, like, it's it's all about the chemistry between these two these two characters. And I fully agree with your pushback. This is not a rom-com. It doesn't, it... It's, it's not never been kissed because at this, at the point... That the characters are interacting. She's had 14 children. Yeah. Right. right. <laughs> and 42 grand I mean, children. she is English, so perhaps never been kissed, but... It's a friendship know. movie. You know, it's, it's a movie about... Yeah, about it's, a, a, it's a movie about a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yes. Okay, so maybe maybe that's that's the hill I'll die on. <laughs> it's a relationship comedy. <laughs> you, Mark's like, the only... <laughs> The only genre of movie that involves relationships is rom-com. It's no no no. It is it is the only genre of movie that is completely dependent upon a relationship blooming. A drama doesn't need to have a relationship between two people. It is elevated by it. Horror, comedy, all of these other like just Well horror has relationships. But it's not the core central. It's like backbone. if I if I didn't have the relationship to killing you. You know, like what what movie would there be to watch? That's right? fair. We have a relationship. We're yeah. developing a bond. Yeah, you are bonding with my machete exactly. or chainsaw or you know. But but their relationship, Victoria and Abdul, is the backbone of this entire movie, and everything else stems out of that. So 
In the same way that a rom-com, the backbone of a rom-com is about two people's relationship and all the shenanigans that come out of that. This is that, even though there isn't romance involved. Okay, so can I counter with a very specific example? Please. The Notebook. I've never seen it. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> He says it with such, such conviction. Such vigor. <laughs> the Notebook I'll, I'll is not a rom-com. Points. And uh, it is entirely dependent on the two main characters' relationship. It but is a romance drama. So can we call this, maybe rom-com is the wrong word, but ro- is this a romance I think movie? that's what we're discussing, is that this rom-com is, is the wrong ro- word. This is not, <laughs> not a, a romance, romance n- this is not a romance movie, but it shares some of the same structure as a romance or a rom-com. See, now, I've never seen a romance movie absent sans comedy. Okay, they exist. I, I mean, I, The Notebook is a good example of yeah. that. Are there any other examples? Lake House. All right. Any depiction of Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> I mean, that's a funny story. <laughs> 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 he died. <laughs> Everybody does. Okay, so, you know what? I, I feel like we spent a lot of time on genre, but I... <laughs> you know... But I, I feel like this warrants it because it is it is somewhat unique. We yeah, are kind of splitting I, I, hairs. Maybe but not like objectively, but like at least for me, this is a unique experience. What's our what's our description here of this movie? Um, well, Queen Victoria strikes up an unlikely friendship with a young Indian clerk named Abdul Karim. I feel like we've talked so much already about this movie that we would like normally hold for spoilers, even though I don't think we really gave anything away. But that's really like, that's all there is to this movie. Yeah. Right? It's like there's this guy from India during Queen Victoria's reign, and he develops a personal relationship with the queen. Yep. And that's like, that's it. Yep. Yeah. But that's that's not a criticism. No, no. I mean, it's, that's that's a lot of material to work with. That is, you know, the, that is um, the high and tight of IMDb description. Yeah. No, it's uh, that was really good. Okay, so, on to... Who directed this movie? Well... Stephen Frears. Yeah. Do we know Stephen Frears? I don't know the name. However, oh, he I was, have... Oh, he was in that 80s spoof band, Tears for Frears? Tears for Frears, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, I do know his work, but I don't know his name. He was the director of Philomena, Dirty Pretty Things. I mean, he's English, and he does English movies. So, if you don't watch BBC or English cinema... You're probably not going to know his name. Yeah, he really. That's a good way to put it. It really is. Like, I feel like when they went to direct this, they were. Oh, he directed the Queen. Like, I feel like when they went to direct this, they were like, "Hey, who's that? Um, who's that English director?" And they're like, "Oh, Stephen Frears." And yeah, that guy. Yeah, yeah, the guy who directs all the English stuff. Yep. Um, he also directed apparently High Fidelity, which is on our list and one of my favorite movies. It is a fantastic movie. Okay, so who do we have in this movie? So help me, you better get this right. Oh, God. Uh, You're up. <laughs> fuck. A lot of pressure. We have... <clears throat> the Dame? Dame Duty, Judy Dench. Yes. J- oh Dame God. Judy Dame Dench. Dame Duty Dench. Dame Duty Dench. Oh, that Dame Judy Dench. That's a triple We have Dame Judy Dench. Another name that people may not be familiar with, Ali Fazal. Yeah. What has he been in that our listeners may be familiar with? Probably the most noteworthy would be Death on the Nile. Yep. But unless you're... That was a... That was Agatha Christie uh, adaptation yeah. in are you, 2022. Are you saying people may not be familiar with the astronaut and his parrot? I would say that that would be more obscure. Yeah. That and Tadka and the Underbug and Kandahar. 
I don't actually know any of these. Why? Movies. Well, no, that's the thing is like I don't actually know why he looks so familiar. I'm looking through his catalog and I'm not seeing anything that jumps out at me right away. I've seen like a fair bit of Bollywood and it looks like he has definitely uh, put in his time in Bollywood. But like I cannot figure out why he looks so familiar and I have not seen Death on the Nile. So he, he does have an objectively <clears throat> symmetrical physique and he does a very good job in this movie. I think that his ability to just like seep into the movie and kind of like own the scenes that he's in it almost gives you this intangible feeling of like familiarity even though you may not be familiar with his other work yeah i'm wondering if maybe he's got like a like a doppelganger out there another actor okay who else we got in this movie I feel like you may know this name it's a little bit unfamiliar a little bit obscure uh Eddie Izzard oh my god i love all of their work. Like I've got, uh, I've got a few stand-up DVDs of some of the stuff that he's done, and I have enjoyed everything across the universe. Right. Also, I'm not sure if this is on our list, but if it's not, I'm gonna put it on our list. But uh, Whiskey Galore, he was in that movie, which <laughs> yep. is fucking amazing. Mystery no. Men. Yeah, I fucking <laughs> I miss Mystery Men. Yeah, he's fucking uh, one of the disco. Tony Fuck. P. Tony to- P. Is he Tony P or Tony C? I think you're right. I think he's Tony P. I think he's Tony P. Oh my god, I can't believe I did not make that connection. Like, the second you said it, I'm like, fuck, 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 fuck. <laughs> yeah. uh, we also got uh, Michael Gambon. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his last name correctly, but he was Dumbledore. The latter Dumbledore. Dumbledore the second. Dumbledore part de. Part de. Dumbledore. 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 I don't think there's anybody else that really jumps out to me as like, there's, oh, this person's big. There's one more that you may not know the name of. Simon Callow. Simon Callow is very noteworthy, especially in British cinema. He was in Shakespeare in Love, Phantom of the Opera, Payday. Who does he play in these? Um, So he was Andre, one of the partners that bought the opera in Phantom of the Opera. He was Tilney in Shakespeare in Love. He was Gates in Payday. He was Codringer in The Witcher, and he was Armand the Third in Hawkeye, Disney's anthology series. So you've definitely seen him cross your your screen, but he's one of those chameleonic actors that really just kind of shows up out of nowhere. In more ways than one, they don't even cast him. He just shows up on set and it's walks true. on screen, and they're like, "Oh shit, I didn't see you there." And he's like, "Check this out, acting." Yeah, and then he acts, and then he disappears. Yeah, and he's a very renowned actor in the UK. Yeah, I mean, he was he was pretty renowned to begin with, and then he did it all over again, and they were like, wow, this dude is renowned. Yeah, gotta renown this guy right now. Uh, okay, so would we recommend this movie? Yes. 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 Yeah, full stop. Full stop. I mean, sure, I guess, whatever. Some people may not have the attention fan for it, but like... This was a good movie. If I met somebody that vehemently hated historical fiction and biopics, then I wouldn't recommend this, but I have not met that person yet. Yeah, I agree. I think I think there are I think there's a class of people who would find this movie boring. So if if you find yourself not too keen on like Jackson said, biopics or historical movies, I would still give it a try because like Mark said, the relationship is really the sort of like... The my, meat and potatoes. Yeah. The relationship is really the centerpiece of this movie. So you might be able to latch onto that. So give it a try, but you may not like it. 
just as a heads up. This is a movie that um, strikes a very rare box for me in this podcast. This is a movie that I know for a fact that my wife would actually enjoy. Lies! Wow. The other thing is, this is a movie I know my mother would enjoy. Lies! Whoa! So, that's a very specific check. That's true. We forgot to do cherries. So, um, I don't know if you guys heard it. Um, it was definitely a very, like, organic, mucusy kind of sound. But my cherry popped with this. I'd never seen it. Mm, yeah. <laughs> he went full in. He went, <laughs> he went balls deep. Yeah, with mine... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. My cherry blasted like the Kool-Aid man in a commercial in the 90s. Mm, like, um, a, like a grape. Yeah. Oh, yeah! Well. My cherry was also squished. Mm, which is like, which is rare. Which is rare. As, as we say, like uh, most of the movies in this catalog are movies that are coming out of your collection and you've seen them. The last one that I can recall, I think, was Tokyo Gore Police, where Correct. you had not seen it. And that was the last time that all three of us were movie virgins. Yeah, it's a tripop. Yep. A tripop. A triheim. We need like a like a gold badge on this episode. Right? Um, but trine. yeah, no, I... I purchased this movie i don't know maybe five eight years ago and well it can't, can't be eight years ago now i guess I suppose but five years ago perhaps and it's been in the queue and i've intentionally avoided watching it because i knew it was coming up soon on the podcast yeah so uh are we ready to i was like i was like yeah just Casual. That yep. was chill. That yep. was, uh, you know, it, it, it was the three-piece suit of Bueba Buez. And then... And <laughs> Look, you thought you were getting away. You did, but you didn't. <laughs> uh, okay, so, again, this movie, I feel like we're going to keep saying this over and over, but I feel like it, the movie is very shallow from a detail standpoint. Like... It is a very easy movie to understand. It is a very easy movie to describe. Like, the summary was one sentence, and we were like, yeah, that captures it. Um, I think we can really... I, we say this every week. I think we can really move through this, and then it takes us, like, an hour and a half to describe it. Um, I mean, this movie is 90% dialogue. It is. It is. Yeah. It really is. So, I really do think we can we can move through this rather quick. Sure. Famous um, last words. Famous last words. The movie opens in Agra, India in 1887 and it opens on a young man perhaps named abdul allegedly allegedly who is working as a ledgerman in a prison and he basically just checks people in and out and says yep you're still here you know takes down their names that kind of thing he gets called into an office this is during the british raj the british soldier says to him the queen loved the rugs that you picked out and we're gonna send you to england That's to all. present her with this indian artifact and the qualifier for him being selected specifically is that he was the tallest person yeah he literally says this is one of my quotes he says why me sir and he says i was asked to find someone tall to present it and quite honestly you're the tallest person here yep <laughs> seems legit yep which i mean there are jobs where that's i mean basketball players right yeah come on gotta be tall gotta be tall you know um what is it uh, presenting indian artifacts from, yeah you know earlier dynasties 
high shelf reachers, you know? Yeah. That's a, that's you want to stock shelves, you, gotta, you know? There's specifically the high shelves. There's high shelves, yeah. I mean, there are step stools, I suppose. If yeah. you're installing drywall or cabinets, it helps to be tall, but it's, yeah. it's not a necessary not requirement. A pre, not a prerequisite. If you want to, like, tickle giraffes, you know? Right. I mean, that's... I'm not saying it's, like, the easiest career to pivot into. It's very competitive. It's a competitive field. So, but like, from a science perspective, I, I understand this is fact. We have only ever seen giraffes when they are fully aroused. So, if that were not the case, they would just look like normal horses. That is my understanding. That is oh, correct. Yes. Yeah. 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 They are the horniest animal in the animal kingdom, and I say that because both they have horns, but also... They're fully erect and all the time. All of their limbs, all of their appendages, perhaps, are, are completely erect all the time. All but one. Don't right. uh, don't fact check me or anything, but I feel like um, when flaccid, the giraffe neck could be the same. It's on par with like the hippo, you know. Perhaps that is what hippos are. Hippos are giraffes, just not quite randy enough. Mm. Yeah, right. Hippos are unextended giraffes. I yeah. knew it. I knew it. <clears throat> because, like, look at all that extra skin, right? Yeah, that's got to go taut when they grow. Right, right. Because you know, it's a, it's one of those things. You know, it's like uh, you know, you go over here, you go over there, and then you you know, you end up over 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 yonder. Maybe that's also why hippos like hang out in the water, right? Because they're like, oh my, you know, like really randy Jesus. neighbors and and friends out here like somebody's gonna stick something in something of mine that i'm not gonna be happy about yep. i'm gonna go chill in the pool yeah and you guys can join me when you've calmed down a little bit we're Pool's blowing the, a little cold we're blowing the lid off the whole african server this yeah. is this is a conspiracy yeah um okay so hang on one more thing <laughs> Are we, is this going to be an element of our merch? Are we going to have a flaccid giraffe? No, which, I mean, like, you which know, is it just says name, like, it just says like, you know, flaccid like. Flaccid giraffe. Flaccid giraffe. Oh, is write that the band name? Write flaccid it. giraffe. Right. It. It's a sex thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So on the front, I'm seeing a picture of a hippo and it says flaccid giraffe. And on the back, I'm seeing a, a picture of a giraffe. Aroused hippo. That An aroused hippo, perhaps, that just says, know the truth. I like it. I, forever, giraffes are now going to be referred as a hornypotamus. Yeah. That's the X-Files theme. Thanks. The truth um, is out there. So, Abdul has a sidekick, more or less. Someone who, I, had he met previously? No, 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 no. 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 This dude was, like, from a completely different group, unit, thing, whatever. Yeah. He doesn't even do the same job. His qualifications were different. Uh, what, he just was the guy that didn't... Fall off the elephant. Yeah. Right. Quite literally. The tall guy that they wanted fell off an elephant and hurt himself, was unable to go, so at the last minute they selected this other guy who was, as they put it, this is not my words, short and fat, and he had to go and couldn't say no. Just think, the trajectory of this man's life, everything that has ever happened to this man led to this moment, and then he's done. Yep. So they get put on a boat, and they go to their England, mm -hmm. and they have to present... This artifact, which is literally just a coin. The Mohur. Um, it is amazingly unimpressive. It, it really is. It's just a coin, and they actually even say that in the in the thing. They're just like, oh, that's... That's that, it? Is that it? And so they present it to the queen, and upon retreating, as he's supposed to... He makes eye contact. Uh-oh. Big no-no. Well, and, and leading to this, there's like a fun little bit where they're really just bringing home that there's so much, you know, ritual and... Pomp and circumstance. Yeah, in, in, in the queen's life and everything around it. What would you say the proportions it. are for the, the pomp and circumstance? I would say about 60% pomp. 
pomp and 40% circumstance. So it's fairly evenly distributed. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, I hate that when it, like, sort of falls out of... When there's too much pomp, it's just... It's... Well, there's too much of either. It's really... Yeah. It's not good. I mean... Yeah, we need perfect equilibrium between pomp and circumstance. But you want slightly more pomp than circumstance. You want it to build and then climax and It depends on how edgy you want to be, but, you know... It's fair. That's fair. So Abdul makes eye contact, okay? And by golly, by golly... He was not supposed to. Bad news bears. Or so they say. Yeah. And she takes notice. And it's like, it's not even like, I feel like I expected it to be a glance. It was not a glance. It was like, he was staring at her and she was staring back at him. Glaring back. And it was, it was like, you know, and then he starts to like smile a little bit, like smirk. And it's, yeah, it's like. There was a moment. (laughs) It's, It's tough to watch. They did a good job though of like her gaze. Like, it felt heavy, you know? Like, when you were looking at her eyes, like, yes, Judy Dench is an actor. She poops and pees like the rest of us. Mm-hmm. But, like, I feel like they'd done enough buildup at that moment that when you're staring into her blue eyes as she's looking at him, you felt a weight to them. And I don't know how much of that was her acting and how much of it was just the setup. Well, and I but, th- like, so it, felt, it felt heavy. So one thing I was going to bring up is that I that I think they did in this, which is really interesting. It's something I don't think I've ever seen in, any, in another movie, is I think they actually aged her up in the beginning of the movie. And then as they develop this relationship and she begins to sort of experience life again yeah i was gonna say yeah exactly i was gonna say like love life again like they actually like i think aged her down and made her look a little bit more like judy dench's actual age and then towards the end of the movie they aged her back up again one um, thing that which worth- is which is really bizarre i mean have you guys ever seen a movie where like it has that trajectory it's like good oh yeah. old young old <laughs> yep. so one thing that i think is worth noting is you know me, I always bitch about cinematography, but I really... One day he's going to say, this movie had great cinematography. That and- day is today, my friends. <laughs> so, Here what, we I, what I loved about that moment in particular <laughs> is the Queen has been seen uh, eight or nine times in passing throughout the first 20, 30 minutes of this movie. And you never see her face. Until she sits down for this dinner where she's presented with the mohur. Now, the best part about that is she doesn't make eye contact with a single person at all until Abdul. And they zeroed in Mm -hmm. right there on her startling blue eyes. And that is the first time we actually see the queen's eyes looking at something with purpose. And I thought that was brilliant. Yeah, it was such a, a casual scene that could have been done poorly a million ways, but I think they did it well. It was also it was a very funny scene as well, and there was a lot of like little kind of in jokes that were happening all the time. I think like my personal favorite was the fact that like they took away the course when the queen was done with it and she had a tendency to eat her food really fast so like people literally got their soup like put down they got one spoonful in their mouth and then the servants are hauling it away from them and they're like doing their best to like eat as quickly as possible because she's flying through her meal and one of the members of the house says i'm sorry you've got to be very quick (laughs) (laughs) okay so from here she wants to see abdul again or she doesn't know his name at this point, but she requests to see the two Indian gentlemen again. And because she thought that the tall one was exceptionally handsome. Yep. Which, admittedly, he, he is. is. He's, he is objectively He's very... something like a, what, 30-year-old Indian man, tall. Symmetrical? Symmetrical. 
By by English standards, he's handsome. He's got kind of a a roguish uh, five o'clock shadow thing yeah. going on. Mm-hmm. So anyway, they are literally about to leave, get back on the boat and You're head getting back in home. the carriage. <laughs> and they get basically hauled back and they're like, okay, you're going to present the queen her lunch today. And so they give them a plate of <laughs> jellied foods. <laughs> I, I, I love it. Like at this point, the queen hasn't said like, I want him back or I'm curious about him or anything like that. She just kind of like insinuates her fancy for this person. Like it's, yeah. it's really, really like indirect and they take it as a direct order that they need to rush and find this person like that. Oh shit. The queen likes him. He can't leave. Yeah, so, like, what I took from this was that there are people in the Queen's life whose their, their sole job is to keep her happy and keep her content. And she doesn't even have to say what she wants. They're going to do everything they can to keep her happy. And I think that just, like, builds upon her influence and her power in that, like, in later scenes where, like, he touches her hand or when he's close to her, like, it feels very taboo just because of, like, how they handled her character in the first 15 20 minutes of us meeting her which i think is something that like people in like seats of power often have complained about when they've been more candid and something that's depicted in film not infrequently right is like the isolation that comes along with being surrounded by people either in your employ or people who are desperate to impress you it can be extremely isolating because You are never surrounded with anybody authentic or genuine who can openly express their feelings with you, even if those feelings are, like, negative, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you never know where you stand with somebody if their job depends on you or if they are trying to gain status or power as a result of their relationship with you. Essentially because they have the feelings you pay them to have. Yeah. I mean, the, the old adage... I There's a prostitute joke in there somewhere. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, but, but the old adage, you know, like, uh, heavy is the head that wears the crown. Like, I was thinking of this as watching it. Like, God, I wish my head was heavy. Sorry, go ahead. Right? No, but like... Uh, <laughs> This movie did such a good job of, like, showing that isolation and showing the other edge of that sword, you know? She's... Yeah, she was, like, clinically depressed. Yeah. Oh, Like, it, it, it wasn't, like, I feel like oftentimes when it's depicted in movies, it's, like, agitation or, like, boredom, right? Which is not to be ignored, but with her, it was, like, at least the way it was depicted, it was, like, she was clinically depressed. So, from there, Abdul serves her this jiggly pudding and then immediately falls to his knees and kisses her feet and then backs away and they like the staff members (laughs) grab him by the cuff and they're like what are you doing they did not like that so much (laughs) um uh, but victoria found it refreshing endearing and refreshing yeah and she decides that he's going to be her servant her footman throughout the rest of the jubilee which is usually, I think, like it takes a year or thereabouts. I think this would have been her golden jubilee, right? 50, I believe so, 50, yeah. 50 years on the throne. And I think from there, we can kind of pick up the pace, right? Like, yeah. she takes him places everywhere with her, basically. And slowly, as their relationship develops, she is taken with his candor. Mm-hmm. And he 
tells her about India. At her request, he starts to teach her Urdu. He starts to teach her about Islam. And um, the Quran. And the Quran, and ends up basically becoming... A friend, confidant. A friend, confidant, spiritual leader, teacher mm-hmm. uh, to what, her. What was the what was the word that they... Munshi. Munshi, yeah. Yeah, no, it, it, and as the movie progresses, like, he is elevated higher and higher in his unofficial standing. Within. Much to the chagrin of literally oh, everybody who's not Victoria. The entire right. the entire house is so upset, and everyone is freaking out because there's a brown Muslim that is being elevated to not only a member of the house, but also like a position of status. Yeah, the yeah. queen's best friend and personal confidant. He's allowed to oversee the, the signing of the parliamentary papers. Yeah. I, I love how, like, every time a character is, like, pushed in front of the queen to, like, share the house's reticence. Concerns. concerns, yeah. There's, like, I hesitate to use the R word, but, like, there's, like, a racist element to it. You know, they refer to him as the brown person. Like, she just shuts that shit down immediately. Oh, it's super, it's super Su- racist. It's so beautiful but how actually, she, like, shuts it down in, like, a, like... I'm confused that you're going to be this dumb. Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. And she usually, like, reflexively elevates his status further. She's, like, yeah. basically responds with, like, well, he's lowborn. And she's, like, okay, well, then I'll give him a title. <laughs> like, that's, yeah. how we, that's how we solve this. They're, like, uh, he's he's lowborn. Okay, not anymore. Yeah, but, right. he's, but he's <laughs> uneducated. Okay, we'll put him in college. Right. What else do you want? <laughs> Just, yeah. Yeah, there's nothing that you can throw at me that I can't solve with, a, then, like, a wave of my, my magic wand. But y- I was going to say to your... your like it's super fucking racist certainly um but it's interesting because maybe the, i don't know if this if that word existed at the time but the only time they they say something akin to that in the movie is she calls them all racialists and i thought that was super interesting like i wonder if that that was sort of the you know the genesis the genesis of you know being like you know racially bigoted a racialist i don't know that that stuck in my mind and i was just like that's yeah. fascinating no i heard her say it and i and i was like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna dog ear that for later yeah right was, yeah that's worth a google <laughs> and the way that they handled this was so was so interesting because they used verbiage that like it's so sterile in its it's bigoted it's it's disgusting but they use language that like keeps it they're not using slurs right you know yeah. like it 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 makes it almost like sound less disgusting you know yeah. less the, of the closest they get is like stuff that i would i would be like born more out of ignorance than out of like trying to be intentionally derisive or derogatory like they're like calling them hindu right like they you know they're not calling him hindu to disparage him they genuinely do not understand the difference i think that's like as close as they get toward like anything that would be otherwise considered a slur at least as as far as i can remember about the movie which is again kind of what we were talking about with like this being like you know appropriate for children you know i like that you use the word sterile because it is kind of like it is like that it's like it's it's dripping in like this bigotry and this racism but there's no like i would say strong language which is a very odd coupling you know to have those two things be sort of independent of one another yeah i I think it's important too because a lot of like prejudices are passed down or are overlooked because the language that is used is so casual you know it's, it's easy to like jump out at someone when they use a slur yeah no it's true but when they're just they're not one of us. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, this, they're just, you know, 
the, the ingredients for all the, 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 the horrors and the, the malignancies of, of, of bigotry are all right there. Well, and um, at one point, the head of the house is told by the prime minister that this has to stop or, you know, something bad is going to happen and he will lose his station. And as the head of the house, that's a big, big deal. And so she, he comes back in and the queen addresses him and, and he says, well, frankly, I don't think the prime minister was pleased with the Munchie's performance. And she's like, oh, well, I thought he performed quite nicely. And she says, I thought that the Moonshee was great. And he says, I think the Moonshee was the source of the problem. And then proceeds to discuss that Abdul is not English and therefore does not belong. And Mm -hmm. she's visibly confused by his statement. She's like, obviously, he's not English. Where have you been? (laughs) That's the whole reason he's here. I think he actually said, I think, like, he actually says at one point, he's like, he's Indian. And she's like, of course, I know he's Indian. Like, what? (laughs) And then he... I think it's important, too, because this is how, in some ways, that bigotry is propagated through well-intentioned people. You know, people will be unintentionally bigoted through their mindset and not through their actions. And this is an interesting kind of, like examination of that you know no one was intentionally bigoted but it was very much there you know yeah oh my god there is a scene in the beginning where like they put them in you can't see i'm doing air quotes indian costumes and he very politely says like oh you know the sash here is like not really traditionally indian and they're like yeah but it didn't look authentic enough so we like basically we thought we'd spice it up and make it look more indian and it's like it is it, to me that was like easily top three most uncomfortable scenes to yeah. watch oh in the movie. He, I'm sitting he, there like screaming. He's in talking my head. about how they had the outfits made from from drawings, you know, historical drawings, and he's like, "Yeah, but the sash isn't right." And he goes, "Yeah, it's not Indian, but it wasn't Indian enough, so we made it." more indian it feels right to us yeah so, and that's more important you know Whoa. i like laugh out of discomfort at it which i think is like you know really what the filmmakers were going for right well, like I mean, you're you're supposed to laugh but you're laughing in the same way that you like laugh at michael scott when he like does something horrible and you know uncomfortable and you're like ha, 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 oh god oh my god well, that's and, so fucking terrible and it speaks to the fact that as queen victoria is the empress of India and has never been to India. She knows nothing about country, the culture, the people, the food, the way they dress, their history, any of it. So when they say, well, yeah, it just didn't look Indian enough, so we made it more Indian. And here's here's an actual Indian saying, that's wrong, though. And he's very well-intentioned, too. He's just like, I just want, like... If you want an authenticity, I'm it. So... So take the hint, guys. So there's certainly, like, a a fair bit of that in the movie, which is uncomfortable to watch, but also, you know, like, part of the... I think it's refreshing to illuminate, though. Yeah, Yeah. and it is a big part of the narrative, because basically, as their relationship develops, the toxicity with the rest of the house rises and reaches a fever pitch, and the, like, to the point where, like, the entire house is, like, willing to resign, and they're talking about having her declared legally insane, and basically removing her from her position. She has this great speech that I wish I could have written down but it's like a solid monologue yeah 
And she basically goes on to say, like, I'm obese and I have rheumatism and I'm cantankerous and old, but I am by no means insane. Yeah. She basically like lists all of her accomplishments down to, like, the number. Like, the number of laws she's passed, the number of countries under her sovereignty. The number of the citizens number of, in her rule. Yeah, the Just number of billion. kids she has, the number of grandkids. Like, I've been on the throne for this many years, blah, blah, blah. Then she pivots into all of the character flaws that she has. Like, I've got this problem, i got this problem. You know, and then she goes into, like, physical flaws. I'm rude, I'm ill-tempered, <laughs> and I'm cantankerous. And basically, like, I'm all of these things. But as I demonstrated to you initially... I am anything but insane. Yeah. Right. Which is fucking it's awesome. It's such a powerful scene. Yeah. And I love... Again, I'm going to talk about the cinematography. So they start with her monologue showing the whole desk and the queen. And as she's talking, they just slowly zoom in on the queen and all of her decorations on her desk and the parliamentary box. And I believe they're called knickknacks. Knickknacks. Paddywax. Give me that. Come on. Yes. Um, the paddywhacks are behind the desk. Knickknacks are on the desk. Where were the tchotchkes, though? Well, where was the dog's you know, bone? Tchotchkes are always in front of a window. The dog with the bone was underneath the desk. Gotcha. Ah, okay. Gotcha. Give yeah. it to him. Guys, so, it, it's about position, guys. Yeah. Sorry. So all of the accoutrements on her desk start fading out of the camera, and all you get at the end of the monologue is a full face of the queen, and she ends with, I'm all of these things, but insane is not one of them. Yeah. She's pretty so, badass. So, so she, at that point, she calls like a meeting of, of the household and she basically just articulates that this is what I want. This is what I see as being true. She doesn't say, this is what I want. She says, this is what's going to fucking happen. Well, right, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it, it's it's very aggressive is the wrong word, but it's, it's firm. Yeah, yeah, basically like you want to threaten with your resignation, fucking have at it. I will take any resignation right now. Step forward. Without retaliation. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like the subtext is like, man, normally I'd kill you. <laughs> you know? But I'm going to give you a pass this time if you want to walk out. And nobody says a fucking word. Nobody you know? moves an inch. And, and two minutes earlier, everyone in that scene was all sitting around a campfire. Not campfire, but sitting together in a, in a small room talking about how absurd what was going on was and how they were going to, like, dethrone the queen if she continued this course of action. And nobody says a fucking word because they both know that she is right. You know, I, I think that I maybe this was at least that was my interpretation is yeah. that, that they, they understood her logic. And so they couldn't refute that logic. And all they had to stand on were their feelings of frustration with the situation. This... I I don't know if I I don't know if I agree with that. Please push I, back. I no, I no I just I don't think I don't think there was any like tracking with her logic. I I really think there was a full disconnect there where they, they weren't. They were just afraid. Yeah, I think they didn't like the decisions that she was making, and they felt in their own myopic and racist way that she was sullying the monarchy. And they felt like she was a threat to the monarchy. And so in order to, in their mind, save the monarchy, we have to depose her somehow or threaten her into falling in line. Right. And so I, I, I don't know if I would say they necessarily like understood where she was coming from. I think they were just bigoted twats who were trying to strong arm a 
an old woman who was admittedly cantankerous, but not bigoted. <laughs> I think I think I think the reason why I, I took that interpretation was that like she was very candid. You know, like she wiped the table and she just wanted to confront people that disagreed with her, and no one was able to bring about any arguments that worked. You know, it was it was all rooted in their uncomfortability. Yeah, and it was all rooted very strongly in emotion. Um, And I felt like there was a lot of a herd mentality, too, because I struggle to believe that every single member of that household was shaken to their very core and willing to resign based on the happenstance that she brought a Muslim into the house. That's the irony, right, is I think the woman that they chose to represent their interests was the one who was, like, in opposition the least to... Least offended. Yeah, Yeah, the queen's decisions. And ironically, they chose her largely because she was, like, meek enough to not push back. She was the one that would be too afraid to say no to anyone. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, My favorite thing about that scene, though, is... She had been talking about knighting Abdul, and that's what led to all this craziness. They were like, if you knight him, we will all walk. And even her own son was like, if you knight him, we will declare you insane and have you deposed. Like, this is absolutely ridiculous. This is where it ends. So she walks out of the room after nobody decides to resign. And she says, you'll all be glad to know that I've decided not to knight anybody. Instead, I'm going to make Abdul the commander of the House of the Victorian Royals. And then walks out of the room, and everyone just collectively shits their pants. Like, what the fuck? We just made it so much worse. Right. Uh, One thing I I did enjoy, and then this is hopping back a scene, when when they were kind of talking mutiny almost, they brought up that, like, her entire position, all of her power, is something that we give to her. It's a social contract. I thought that was really kind of interesting. And it it doesn't really relate to, like, the movie as a whole, but I thought it was interesting that, like, they called out that, like, the queen has no power other than the power that we give her collectively. And they were willing to use that chip. Mm-hmm. It's very uh, French Revolution of them. A queen is <laughs> only as good as her subjects. Yeah, yeah. Or as good as the guillotine is sharp. Yes. <laughs> you know, this, the queen doesn't even wipe her own ass. You know, everything that she has and does. She doesn't even get out of her own bed. She has two people physically lift her and position her into a sitting yeah. position. And, and to be fair, though, I do think that that was a device to show her depression. Eh, like, she had no interest in getting out of bed, and they literally, like, physically picked her up and moved her. And then, like, 20 minutes later, she's, like, dancing with Abdul. Yeah. You know, and I, I think they were trying to show that sort of change in trajectory, but... right. Uh, but yeah, so basically after walking out of that big meeting where she told everybody to Eat uh, shit and die. go fuck themselves, uh, she collapses, clearly has a bad health scare, let's say. And then, you know, the movie wraps in, I think, f- like four more sequences, which is basically the short, fat gentleman who accompanied him died on that day when dude, the when the queen collapsed dude wasn't even fat he nope. he was not fat but they <laughs> called him the short fat guy but he hated it in england he hated the trip he didn't want to go hated the weather and it was actually kind of awesome in the sense that like they did approach him one time to try to get him to sort of spill some dirt on abdul to try to undermine him and and his position with the queen and the dude is like he's in a room that is like clearly not very nice and he's all by himself and he's now serving Abdul, which is kind of a weird dynamic. He's sickly. He's, and he is like coughing up blood in the scene. He is not well. And he refuses to play ball 
and to like betray his friend. It's fucking awesome to not, watch. Like it's dude, so not it, even his friend. They didn't even know each other. Well, well, yes, I, I mean, they, but they did. They would have. Well, they did develop a relationship. Well, certainly, but like it was. I think the allegiance was less about his friendship and more about their position within. Yeah, like it was his 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 revulsion towards the British Empire, and he's like, yeah. I'm not going to fucking help you. He does say, and in that scene, he's like, I hope him being here makes this all come toppling down. I was <laughs> just like, oh shit. It's so good. Yeah, uh, he's like, you can stick your stinky, dirty British Empire up your stinky, dirty bottom hole. He was pretty badass. I, also, on the depressing note of his death, it reminded me quite a bit of the story of Ramanujan, who was an Indian mathematician, a self-taught mathematician. There's a movie about this called The Man Who Knew Infinity. It's in our queue and we're going to do it, but basically the short version is taught himself mathematics, sent a letter to Harding, who was probably the most prominent mathematician at the time, uh, which this is like the the 19 aughts, and Harding, instead of being like haughty and snooty about it, brings him to England from India, and they end up working together, and it turns out Ramanujan is arguably top three, I would say, natural mathematical geniuses that we know of. I mean, he's like on par with Euler and Newton. Anyway, unfortunately had a very similar trajectory to the short fat guy. I don't I don't know what to call him other than that. I don't even I don't, remember I don't, his I don't, name. I don't remember his name, but basically he had a similar trajectory where like he moved to England. They did all of this amazing work along with uh, another mathematician. The three of them would work together because like Ramanujan, his brilliance was like he knew the answer, but he wasn't, I don't want to say he wasn't good at proofs, but he didn't have the practice in proofs. So like he it was would, an intuitive understanding. Yeah, yeah, he would he would intuit the answer and then he and Harding would work backward to derive the proof mm -hmm. they didn't like prove it forward to the answer which is fucking awesome anyway unfortunately he had a very similar trajectory where he was only there i, I want to say like eight to ten years maybe not even that long and got sick in a similar way to this guy depicted in this movie and ended up dying in england unfortunately and it's heartbreaking and you know he was very young he was in his like early 30s so you know many people have speculated you know what kind of mathematics did we miss out on because this guy died yeah, how, way, how way before his time how different would the world be yeah but yeah no i just thought it seemed very similar right and, and it's about the same time like this happened you know in the very, very late 1800s, like the mid to late 1890s, and Ramanujan went to England in like the, the 1900s. I think he went like 1905 or something. I'm making that plus or minus maybe five years. Yeah. Like but okay. So his friend dies. He brings his family over. This is kind of earlier, but I think it's important for... Yeah, his family's over. To, to, to paint the picture of the, of the final phases of the movie. The queen gets sick. Mm -hmm. She dies with his counsel. And, you know, they depict it as him sort of making her feel better before she dies. The son immediately sees his power, becomes king, and then basically... Like his first act as king is to evict Abdul and his family. Not yeah. just evict, but burn all of their shit in a pyre. Like literally raided their house, pushed his wife out of the house grabbed all of their stuff, specifically targeting things that were important to the queen. Representative of his relationship with the queen. So yeah. they're, they're, Historically significant? Yes, their correspondence, their yeah. pictures, their anything she gave him, and they burned it. And then they kicked him out 
and send him on a boat back to India. And then the closing sequence was plus maybe like three or four years. Yeah. Um, and he... He finds solace at the foot of a statue that's been erected of the queen in front of... The, the Taj, Taj Mahal. Mahal. Yeah. One thing that I, I did want to kind of go back to a little bit, and I don't know if it was like, if it was a story element or if it was meant to convey anything um, more broad, is that the newly minted king, I mean, I don't know if it was coronated, was present at Abdul's eviction. And so like, I, I, I'm curious curious kind of what, what your guys' takeaway was was that meant as a story element that he was the force that was driving that and so he was present in that scene as they were getting evicted or like why was the king there for an eviction i think it was a little bit of both i think it was a little bit that right you got to know that he was the driving force behind this but i think more importantly it was he wanted to see him evicted he it wanted was personal to, yeah it was it personal was it was personal. it was it was the cruelty is the point Right. right, like he wanted to see it happen. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, so Abdul gets brought over to England in 1887. He spends the next 14 years in England because he returns to Agra in. 1901 and the final scene takes place in 1905 four years after he returns which tells us that he is regularly visiting the statue of the queen and there's this really cute moment where he greets the statue kisses the foot of the statue and then pulls out his little picnic box and starts conversing with the statue you know it says it's great to see you how was your day and then there's a, a little script at the end that says you know he returned back to Agra in 1901, died eight years after he returned in 1909, and then India claimed its independence 47. in 1947. Right, right, right. Um, I'm super curious, um, now that we've kind of like wrapped up the narrative, like how much of this yes. is based upon sources you know and again i don't want to say like based upon reality because it's my understanding that this was entirely derived from notes that were taken by him that they said weren't discovered until 2010 yeah that, yeah that's that's a long time that's over 100 years we should not take this as a biography no um, this is this it, well is that's definitely but the dates so, are so, specific yeah well i mean like it certainly wasn't a complete fabrication but I mean, they did show a picture of the two of them like clearly he spent a lot of time in england some of this at least must be true but you know you're you're saying based on a real story that was one of the things that i loved about this movie was the opening it says this movie is based on real events dot 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 mostly (laughs) (laughs) right what else did we like about this movie i i love the quippiness this movie was funnier than i thought it was gonna be yes absolutely totally way funnier than i thought it was gonna be Uh, and and it was funny in a way that like it wasn't in like the one-liners it was like in the like the first 15 minutes we've established a set of rules and now we're gonna make you uncomfortable as you butt up against them and that's what made it funny for me right you know in the beginning nobody's eating food if the queen's not eating you know, nobody's like, don't fucking look her in the eyes. You know, like it, it establishes this like really tight, you know, you do this, you don't do this. And then the rest of the movie is just fucking with that. You yeah. Know? And a lot of the humor is derived from that well-established rule breaking. At least my interpretation of it was, you know, like you touch her foot. This is funny because it makes everybody really uncomfortable. But like, it's not objectively funny. It's just funny because of the rules that you have set up leading up to this point right you've made this very taboo and now you get to watch everyone squirm with that like the fact that they told him multiple times under no circumstances look at her 
Yeah, I mean, he, he was supposed to, you know, once he presented the coin or whatever. He was supposed to back away and not exist. Yeah, not even turn around. Like, walk 50 feet backwards and then he could turn around. Like, that's how prim and these were the rules. And the motherfucker kissed her feet. Motherfucker. Yeah, no, I... Like, I really every single that. person in that tent just about collectively shit their pants. Except for Quentin Tarantino, who was pulling his putt in the corner. Yeah. Right, right, right. right. Um, I say that due to his well-known foot fetish. Yes. <laughs> no, I, I, I really enjoyed this. What about you guys? Just saying, I'm not yucking anybody's yum. I just know Quentin Tarantino's got a foot fetish. Yep. <laughs> we can keep it. Well, I just have to say, I really enjoyed the cinematography. He's got to say that. Yeah. Yeah. I really did. And... It was good cinematography. Did they do anything amazing or groundbreaking? No, but it's a historical drama. To get flashy with cinematography would almost be distracting, but they did some very decisive camera work that I greatly enjoyed. For one, when you see him walking with the queen anywhere in the palace, it's like a slowed-down version of Sorkin speak. Um, (laughs) It's like a standard... Aaron Sorkin shot caught in molasses. <laughs> yeah. So they did the whole, you know, walk and talk all the president's men West Wing tactic where they're moving through corridors and moving through rooms, but they moved at the queen's pace, which as we know, she is an elderly woman with joint pain and rheumatism. So it was very slow. It was very casual. And Abdul, as we know, is the tallest person there. So we don't even know where there is. Just you're the tallest person here. Yeah. (laughs) So he obviously has a much longer gait than the queen and he never walks in front of her he never outpaces her and he never seems uncomfortable by this the the slowness of his pace he is greatly enjoying his time with her the scene where she is dancing with him to gilbert and sullivan on the patio is just adorable because it's a still shot of her walking with him and then as they start to dance the camera slowly rotates and almost follows their movements. I thought that was fantastic. And creative zoom-ins. And uh, one of the shots that I also really liked was as they're pulling all of the diner's food away from them, the camera focuses on Abdul and his traveling companion as all of the waitstaff is flying in front of him with full trays of food just passing back and forth. So I really enjoyed the decisiveness of the camera shots and the intention that they put into each of the camera shots. I will say to your point about cinematography, I'm trying to remember the proper name for it, but it's a type of dolly shot. It's like a dolly zoom. And I'm trying to remember if it was invented by Hitchcock or Spielberg. I think it may have been Spielberg on Jaws because I know he did it in Jaws. Uh, But basically, like, the shot is you have the camera on a dolly and you are pulling it back while, or sorry, you're pushing it forward towards the person while zooming out. And it creates this effect where, like, the person stays relatively still in the frame and the background kind of stretches out and, Mm -hmm. and gets really, like, wonky and weird. And it's, like, it's a really, like, uncomfortable shot. It's basically, like, the directing equivalent of, like, oh, shit. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and they did do that shot one. They did a reverse version of that shot where they pulled the dolly away and zoomed in on her face to sort of illustrate that like shit was going haywire inside of her before she 
got sick and fainted. I loved that. And that was, admittedly, that was a really cool effect, and and I'm glad to have seen it done. And I feel like something that, I don't think I would have anticipated seeing it in a historical drama. But again, it was done slowly, so it was almost unnoticeable. That's good. Uh, Yeah, I, I would say acting, I mean, you've got Dame Judi Dench, so like... You know, let's just say superb and yeah. leave it at that. Like, yep. I I didn't feel like outside of Judy Dench and Ali Fazal. Yeah, nobody else's acting chops like jumped out at me. However, nobody pulled me out. Everyone felt like they were richly involved and embedded within the time. Mm-hmm. Which it's one of those things where like a clean room, you know, you don't notice a clean room. You notice a dirty room, you know, nothing jumped out at me as being out of place. Mm-hmm. You know, everything felt right, which is unfortunately a sign of like superb acting, you know, in a way that like, it's when you're doing a really good job. You don't know. notice anything wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it's what it's what uh, the remnants of God after they collided with the spaceship. It's what they told Bender, right? <laughs> it's like if you're doing things right. People won't be sure you've done anything at all. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. But no. Everyone... If I'm gonna, if I'm just, if I'm gonna sit here, guys, you have to expect that I'm going to just precipitate some Futurama philo- oh, yeah. philosophy on oh, you. Oh yeah. Yeah. Even even Eddie Izzard, whose like presence is so demanding of your attention because they're so good at like <laughs> just being, you know, was, was fairly like subdued. I would say. Yeah. Compared to yeah. The very instant that Eddie Izzard showed up on the not, screen. Not subdued in a bad way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went, holy shit, that's Eddie Izzard. And we all three were like, whoa. <laughs> and then it, it just it, it just faded. It, it just faded away because the acting alone was what carried it. Right. And, and I'll say this, and feel free to push back on me. I feel like anyone in this movie, aside from Judi Dench... And maybe even Ali Fazal could have been recast with literally anyone else if the acting was the same and it wouldn't have mattered. Yeah, no, I would say you're I, I would agree with that. I would say the movie is subject matter specific and it's more in the writing and in the quips and in the dialogue than it is in the performance. You know, you yeah. know, I would never have cast Gary Oldman in this movie, not because I don't think he's capable, but because, you know, you don't. You don't bring a Ferrari to a foot race. No. <laughs> you know, like, his skill set is so unnecessary in this movie, even though Judy Dench is, you know, definitely Gary Oldman level in her abilities, and I'm sure many of these other people are as well, but you don't need the outlandishly amazing performance. You just need the story told, and I think everybody's told the story very well. Yeah. Right. Um, was there anything we did not like? Not that I can think of. So, I have one. All right. Let's hear it. And the only thing, and I don't, I don't even know if this is really valid, but I'm going to say it. Is it your driver's license? It is. Because that's not valid anymore. That hasn't been valid for years. Someone's going to have to take me home. Tonight? Sure. Yeah. Sure. Because I don't want to let you go until we see the light. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. My favorite is like when Mark helps. That's my favorite favorite part. So... I don't know how, I'm not sure how to take that. I feel that was a little, you know? (laughs) He just helped again. (laughs) Oh, I love you. (laughs) So, Abdul, (laughs) Abdul is in England for 14 years. 
And there's no timeline in the entire movie to tell us where in that passage of time he is. They, you're That's saying they, they could have signposted it a little they bit They could better. have signposted it Especially the better. middle part, I agree. The the beginning and the end, I think it's, it's more noticeable because the beginning and the end are well signposted. Yes. Like, you do get actual dates flashing up on the screen, which is sort of unequivocal. Like you said, there's not even context clues in the middle of the movie to show sort of how far we've progressed, which could help with our understanding of how much their relationship may have progressed. Right. And I think a good example of this, we were talking about like his relationship with the other guy. Like, I think they did and would have had a friendship. And I think like a good example of that is like, they said it was a four month journey from India to England. Like they were literally in a cabin together for four fucking months on yeah. a boat. Like, Which you explains d- why the mango didn't survive. You don't not develop a relationship with somebody. Right. Right. You know, in that in even that even a working relationship, even if you hate the guy, you still have to like work with You have him. to not strangle each other. Yeah. So so I do think like throughout the middle of the movie it would have helped us understand where their relationship was at based on time. Well and for if example, it was better signposted. She took him on a the family holiday to Florence. And it would have been very easy to just say, you know, Florence, eighteen ninety one. Or when they went to Scotland, Scotland. 1897. Like a a, a Marvel movie. Yeah. Or just, like, leave a context clue, right? Have a calendar conspicuous in the shot. Mm -hmm. Or, like, you gotta sign these papers for the decree of 1895. Right. Yeah. And I think a good example of this, too, is, like, there's a scene when she finds out that he's married, and she wants his wife brought to them. The next scene, they're being unloaded in a carriage, more or less. Which, as we know, took them at minimum eight months for him to go back to India, round up his family... And bring them back and that's, to England. And that's literally him getting off the boat and saying, get your shit, we're getting back on this boat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now. So, yeah, that that's a fair argument, you know. And I didn't feel like it took anything away from me, but you're right. It felt like a long summer and not 14 years. Right. But you? Uh, no, I think all valid criticisms. You know, I feel like anything I say is probably going to be splitting hairs, but I do think, even though I don't think the movie dragged, like I said, I think it went along at a good clip. I do think... There was fat that could have been trimmed, and I think that if you wanted to fill that space, you could have added extra elements that give us a little bit more detail. You know, this is, I'm super biased because I want to know more about the real story, right? So, like, a little bit more details about how the story came out, what parts we know about, what parts we don't, right? Like, if they were to cut ahead to 2010 and show, like, somebody finding the journal and then, oh, this is my great-grandfather's journal, oh, what, oh, my God, he knew Queen Victoria, blah, blah, blah. Or somebody in the household, like, showing them writing down what was happening, some kind of chronicler. I don't know. I just, I feel like I would have loved more information about how accurate it was and the sources of the information. And while I understand why it wasn't in the movie, I think there definitely could have been room in the movie if they trimmed some of the slower scenes a little bit. One thing that I would have loved to see is... Flashing back to current events of the time in British-occupied India. So, he's in England, a member of the house of the royal family, living it up side-by-side with the queen, eating fancy meals, being treated relatively well. Being treated exceptionally well by the queen and tolerated by the staff. But, flashback to India to show the British occupation and the events that are 
currently going on in his home. Yeah. Even that, briefly. Having that sort of juxtaposition of the two worlds. Yeah. I also think that there could have been a little bit more exposition on the riots and the attacks. The in, mutiny. In, in yeah. India. Yeah. The, the Indian mutiny could have been covered in a little bit more detail. I think they didn't because there's a scene where it's kind of important that the viewer doesn't know exactly what happened. But I, I do think that exposition on that would have helped us understand the context that these events were set in a little bit better. I want to push back on that. And, yeah. And it's entirely a subjective pushback. But my argument would be that that's not the story that they were trying to tell. I And um, that's, that's kind of what I was alluding to. And while I am also curious about these elements, that's a different story. And I think right. that that could merit an arc of its own. Because um, this wasn't the that's story. A good, that's a good point. This good wasn't point. the story about the British occupation of India. Yeah. Right. This was a story about the Queen's personal relationship with Abdul. Right. And while all of that stuff is very interesting and I would love to know more. That's for a different movie. It, yeah. But I agree. I am also curious about more of these elements. And I, I certainly will be doing a little bit more just recreational learning on it. I don't think, and again, this is subjective. I don't think that this necessarily fits into something that, that could be seen as a criticism of the movie. But again, I I agree with what you're saying, and this is entirely subjective. You're gonna, you're gonna do some some poop googling. You know, that's what that sound is. Yeah, um, is, is poop googling a band? I believe it is. Yeah, but it, it's such a fascinating point in time. I also am thirsty for more context. Absolutely. Um, I just keep thinking of that scene from Starship Troopers. Do you want to know more? Yes. <laughs> yes, I do. Um, and how do you get that? Poop googling. Poop googling. Which is different than the Goopadoop. It's uh, it's, an, it's entirely separate. Usually, um, if it's gotten to the point of a Goopadoop, you probably couldn't use your thumbs to even do a poop Google. Yeah, I don't think that I would be capable of poop Googling if I was in the middle of of a Goopadoop. Yeah, I, I would try. I would try. I mean, you'd have to use your fingers and your phone to call like an ambulance, perhaps. Well, there's there's uh, the Google Home Minis that are voice activated. So if you have control of your vocal cords, then you can. Which is a that's a tall order that's, if you're suffering from that's the, the heavy if you're in the middle of a goopadoo oh, if you got the goopadoo that's, that's true uh what kind of quotes do we have are we ready to move into quotes i think we got to move into quotes okay uh okay so in the beginning of the movie the royal doctor is trying to assess whether the queen has had any movements <laughs> uh whether she has done a poop google herself all right and he's trying to encourage her because again this is her golden jubilee she's not eating the best and he's trying to encourage her to eat some better food that's got a little bit more fiber and he says um it is imperative your majesty that the royal colon receives a little roughage so good and then so shortly after she sort of takes abdul and um the short fat one i'm sorry i've got nothing yeah uh the other guy the other guy let's call him the other guy because he's not short or fat but shortly after she takes them into her employ she takes them to scotland to balmoral castle and she she dressed them in like i mean it was sort of quasi indian style but it was de- very clearly like Scottish wool. And she says, now, do you like your new Scottish costumes? And he's, again, he's very candid with her. He says, uh, they're very scratchy, your majesty. And she just responds with, everything in Scotland is scratchy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so Which I have been to Scotland many times. It's not inaccurate. It is a reasonably scratchy country. I mean, just as far as, far as countries go, it's a lot of scratchy things there. <laughs> yes. Yes. 
Um, okay, so I've got two. The first one was in like the, the, the first half of the movie or really even the first quarter of the movie when everything was kind of quips. Abdul is now her Munchi, or, or at least this was like the genesis of that arc in, in the story. He starts teaching her language and initially she wants to learn Hindi. Back no, in... initially she wants to learn Hindu. Hin- okay. And he's uh, like... This is not the language she that says, you should she learn. Literally, she he literally looks learn... at her and goes, you want to learn what? <laughs> she wants to learn Indian. And okay, says, there we go. Yeah, you're right. She starts with Indian, and then she goes to Hindu. And he goes, you want me to teach you Hindi, but... To be honest, you'd be better to learn Urdu. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Go, go ahead. Yeah. Well, go yeah, ahead. no, because yeah, there's like there's like a quote. thousand languages in India, you know. Yeah. And it, it's both revealing of her misunderstanding of the region, but like anyway, there's like this back and forth, and the other members of the household are outside of the room, and they're like listening into their conversations and trying to like understand what is this stranger doing with our queen. And there's like a bit where the doctor has the stethoscope like up against like the door, and I forget exactly kind of what the lead up to it was, but you know. It's like he's teaching her Hindi, you know, and it's like, it's it's Urdu actually, you know. <laughs> yeah, and like it, it lands it's like so well because it's just. It started with like two or three people, and people began to like accumulate, and by the end of it, it was like probably eight people, yeah. and it was one of the first three people who had like been identified as Urdu and not Hindi. Yeah, <laughs> he's like he like corrects the newcomers. It's, <laughs> it's Urdu actually. <laughs> Yeah, um, he says it like he's like he's known it all along. Oh yeah, it's, yeah, it's it's Urdu. Yeah, yeah obviously, I, I knew that. I mean, sure. <laughs> um, and my second quote is. Is very somber. It's at toward the end of the movie. The, the queen is talking about how Abdul has like enriched her life, really, and added dimensions in, in, in the final stages of her life. And she makes this line, you know, she says, uh, when I was young, I longed for death. Now that I have nothing to live for, I cling to every breath. You know, and it, most of my quotes typically have like a deeper meaning to the story. I just found that line to be very poignant. You know, I, I, I thought it was it was rich. Yeah, it was profound. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I heard it and I, I, I needed to, to write it down. So I have five, arguably four, because one of them really doesn't count. But I'm going to say it anyway, because I found it fucking hilarious. So in the scene where the queen is sitting at the head of the table and everyone is about to be served, they are getting ready to bring out the soup. And there's this little boy who's probably like 10 or 11, who's like the town crier of Buckingham Palace. His sole job Um, is to run back and forth in a time and place where there were no cell phones or radios. And just shout what is happening. (laughs) So this boy (laughs) runs out of the servants' quarters and just yells, Soup! Over and over. And he's just (laughs) running down the halls and he gets to the kitchen and then the chef yells, Soup! Yeah. Fucking, I, I was dying. Oh my god. Communication done through Echo. Yes. My second one... Abdul comes from a family of carpet makers, and they learned the practice of carpet making from the Persians. So the whole reason for him being there is that he selected the carpets that were put in Buckingham Palace. And he's being perfectly candid with the queen and explaining the carpets. And he says, life is like a carpet. We weave in and out to make a pattern. And I thought that was awesome. Um, Third one. There's a portrait of him in the hallway, and the prime minister is walking with Abdul to the Dubar room, and she stops, 
to admire the painting of Abdul. And she says, a fitting likeness, don't you think? And Abdul leans over to the prime minister and says, I asked him to take a few pounds off. <laughs> it was so good. He says it so, like, playfully. So matter-of-factly, like, You know, it was refreshing from the sense that, like, so much of this movie is him being, in some ways, a fish out of water. But the way he delivered that line was anything but. It was a very casual and understandable, like, joke between what should be equals, right? And he just, I asked him to take a few pounds off. It's like, yeah, who wouldn't? (laughs) Yeah, it it was very casual in a a dynamic that was anything but previously. So Dr. Reed is the royal physician, and he has been asked to ensure that Abdul and his family are in perfect health specifically reproductive health, because the queen wants to hear the pitter-patter of little Muslim feet throughout the palace. And he agrees, and then after she leaves the room, he turns around, says to the, the head of the house, I did not do seven years at Edinburgh University to look at Indian dicks. <laughs> oh, joy. <laughs> I mean, probably that wasn't what he anticipated. No, he probably didn't intend. It's not why I went to Edinburgh. No. That's not why I went to Edinburgh University. No. But, you know, it doesn't mean I haven't seen my fair share. Yeah. Like, it comes comes with the territory. That's why I go to Amsterdam. Oh, I get it. Um, And then... (laughs) Mark just... He says it quietly, but he just goes, Oh, I get it. Comes. <laughs> the last quote is one of the last scenes involving the queen and she's lamenting her life and talking about how she has no love left because she's about to leave him just like her albert left her and he takes her hand and says love is the whole and we are only the pieces hmm. there's a lot of really good just bars yeah are we uh are we Luradern with ratings? I believe we are Luradern. Uh, or at least Luradern with quotes. Are we ready to ribbity ribbity rate? Yeah, baby. Yep. All right. I'm going to jump us off here. I'm going to say 7.8. Whoa. That yeah. is a big score there, That friend. was the number that I was going to go with. Oh, Whoa. Yeah. oh you're welcome Two to go 7.81 scores. or maybe oh. even 7.79, but swear to God, you go 7.8, yeah, I'm going to feel attacked. Words. But anyway, Peacock Thrones. That's Peacock Thrones. Peacock Thrones. 7.8 Peacock Thrones. I like it. Who's next? I'm going to go with 7.9. Whoa. Whoa. Big score. Big score. Muhur. Ooh, that's a good coin, I hear. (laughs) That's a good coin. It's a fairly useless gift, but it is a good coin. Unless you're a coin collector. Then it's a perfect gift. Then it's a perfect gift. I am going to go... Let's face it, Queen Victoria was an everything collector. I'm going to go 6.4 claps. Ooh. Ooh, he did. He did have the clippity clap. He did. He was riddled with it. Yeah. Which, I don't know what that would look like and how you could diagnose it. In, like, the short amount of time that he happened to be staring at the man's phallus? I I would imagine probably very swollen, lumpy, and oozing pus Mm. would be my guess. Yeah, that doesn't sound pleasant. I 
I'm not going to Google that. You know, some bit of information is like so pervasive. You're like, this is either very, very right or very, very wrong. Yeah. But like the the old wisdom about the clap is that it got that name from the only way that you get rid of all of the like pustules on the inside of your urethra is by going. Uh. And uh, just letting that um, juice leak out. Yeah, I don't like that. Nope. Leaky peener juice. Nope. Don't love that. No, 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 Leaky peener juice. Not a band name. Not a band name. Don't call it? Not gonna call it. No, I would not go see that show. It's called the drip. It's called the drippity drap. Drip, drap, drap, drap. Oh, we're making it better and worse. So I'm uh, I'm pretty excited to hear what we have next. So now that we've uh, delivered our scores, it is time to circle up and do the scene score. Scene score. Scene score. That's not bad. Fucking beautiful. Yeah. Um, we didn't like max out the microphone that time, so I think maybe Some, that'll be music to somebody's ears. Sometimes yeah. somebody's tone deaf. Yeah. Subtlety is is just what it's all about. Yeah, it's the <laughs> bread and butter. It's the thing that we're not good at. No. <laughs> uh, Subtlety is the bread and butter of this podcast, and we prefer toast. Prefer toast. We're serving ribs. Yes. <laughs> so- <laughs> Pickles and onions. <laughs> I should have said mangoes. Oh, oh, fuck. That would have been a good one. Off mangoes. (laughs) Okay, so scene score. Let's start with familiarity. Uh, We had a high response rate. I was really jazzed about our response rate for this episode. And our familiarity score is a zero. Zero. Goose egg. Uh, None of y'all seen this movie. And that's... Like, I feel really... I mean, none of us have seen it, no. right? Like, I feel like that's kind of... This is perfect. That's par for the course. Like, I feel like this is a way under-the-radar movie. Like, this movie, I think above most, deserves to be elevated above whatever score it is ultimately given. Yeah. So, with our ratings, our average rating was 7.4-ish, 7.37. And that means the scene score ended up at 8.68. So, 8.7 for our scene score, which is high yeah uh among our highest and again i think you know that comes from a better than average standard rating and then nobody's seen this movie so like get out and see it yeah like you know motivate yeah this is a perfect example of a movie that i would have never given a shot to if i had seen the dvd on the shelf at a store i wouldn't have thought anything of it ever it's totally invisible it is a fairly unremarkable dvd cover it's just the two of them walking yeah. And literally, unless you pick it up and turn it over, you probably wouldn't know what it's about. Yeah. And the title is just their names. Yes. Yeah. But but this was enjoyable. This was good. I feel I feel like I am this was better for well having seen spent. it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Are we Lord Ern? I believe we're Lord Ern. Uh, that is all for the All Crap Review. Thank you for listening. If you have any ideas for band names or t-shirt ideas, ways that we can monetize the podcast and milk you for all your worth, please let us know at three, that is number three, meninabasement at gmail.com. You can also email us if you're interested in joining our mailing list and contributing to the scene score, or you can sign up for our mailing list and learn a little about the scene score at our website, TMAAB as in three men and a basement, or T-Mob. 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 com. So check us out. Give us money. Burp envelope. Mm, we email, do love those. Whatever you want. Mm. Hot dogs. Uh, 
<laughs> and please be sure to check out this week's uh, band lineup, which are fierce, fierce competitors for Battle of the Bands. We're kicking it off with Tears for Freers, which is, you know, I mean, it's really bringing 80s back in, in the way that we want. Oh, it's a, it's a beautiful revival. It is. Honestly. I'm afraid. Yeah. Full, I'm full of Freer. Full of Freer. And they're opening up for Flaccid Giraffe. But Flaccid Giraffe is also opening up all sorts of other things. But to yeah. be fair, it's nothing to stand up for. No. No. Because it's Flaccid. And uh, Mark knows that as Flaccid because he did a bunch of poop Googling, which was our last band. Yeah. Yes. Don't Google Flaccid Giraffe, please. I'm going to do that, but I'm going to do that on Mark's home network. Whew. And they are all on tour now and competing in the Battle of the Bands. You can also find us on iTunes, Google Play, wherever you find your podcasts. And until then, I am Colin McLeod. Mark Holt. Action Jackson. And uh, we'll see you in cyberspace. Bow, 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 bow.